This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Selena Hill turned 17, so she be partying like ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. Yes, go ahead, Selena. You want to introduce That's, yourself? Is that, is that it? You oh, know, oh, you're not oh, going to oh, continue? Oh, oh. oh okay, okay, cool. No. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. January is our 30th birthday. Give us $30 because you love us and we love you. And if you are just tuning in, we just finished up the news roundup where we talked about whether students at Princeton University should be protesting to have Woodrow Wilson's name removed from all of Princeton. And before that, we had a segment on Syria and the Middle East and ISIS and talked about the way that people have been treating the refugees and whether we should put boots on the ground. We are now talking about food insecurity and food deserts, or as Selena likes to say, fat babies. What? All right. So FYI, Jackie and Alyssa and I keep talking about how hungry we are, right? We keep talking about that. And the only thing that's in my mind right now is thanks. No, turkey. Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming up, guys, in a few more days. And I wanted to know if you guys were thinking about the turkey, the stuffing, oh the cornbread, putting on at least five extra pounds, you know, all the good stuff that comes with these um, all-American holidays, which really is ingrained and rooted in genocide and murder <laughs> and violence. Yeah. But, hey, it wouldn't be America if it wasn't so, right? So That's we turned true. it into a good thing. Well, while most of us and a, a pretty good majority of us are thinking about Thanksgiving and buying our turkeys and thinking about all of this food, I think there's something that we should pay more attention to. And that is the 48.1 million Americans who are living in food insecure households. That also includes 32.8 million adults and over 15 million children. In other words, they simply do not have enough to eat. Plus, 17.5 million U.S. households actually lacked access in 2014 to enough good food at some point last year. So it's pretty obvious that food insecurity has become an epidemic in our nation. And though we are slowly climbing out of a recession and the economy is progressing, more and more people are finding are coming up short when it comes to putting food on the table. They're thinking about how am I going to get my next meal for tomorrow or next week or, or they're just going to bed hungry day after day. And I know a lot of people might say, well, how is that going on when America has an obesity problem? The two go hand in yes. hand. If we, if we think about it, what's happening in these low-income communities or working-class communities or even some you know, lower-middle-class communities where people just don't have enough resources and just aren't making enough money, what they're doing is they're choosing the worst options available to them. That means you know, if they don't have a lot of money, they're going straight to the dollar menu at McDonald's or you know, they're going to buy a 50-cent biscuit at Popeye's, which I used to do after school in high school, by the way. We used to just go buy the biscuits. Those I biscuits know. is life, though. No, they're really yeah, good, they and they're so really good. cheap. But right? they're really not healthy. Oh no! Mind your business, Alyssa. No, 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 no. Alyssa's absolutely right. That type of food is not healthy. But then again, you have certain neighborhoods like mine where it's like that's the only thing in proximity. I mean, I'm walking distance from KFC, from McDonald's, and from three to four bodegas. And it's like in these bodegas, there's no diet Snapple. There's no, you know, they don't even have. Things uh, if diet you, Coke. like Diet Coke, they don't have these type of foods. And a lot of time the food is spoiled. It's no good. And it's like we're just contributing to this epidemic, food insecurity, where these people are not getting nutritious food. And then they're blowing up, literally, um, because of all the food that they do have access to. And it's, and it's a horrible thing. And again, like I mentioned in the beginning of the segment, before we went on break, um, was that 
this is what's happening, um, again, disproportionately to, you know, a lot of communities of color and, again, a lot of to just working class folks, people that go to work every single day and then they go to bed hungry every single day. And it shouldn't be like this. Um, and on that note... Well, I do want to introduce our very special guest that we have on the line who will help us talk about this segment. His name is Joel Berg. He is a nationally recognized leader and an expert in domestic hunger, food security, obesity, poverty, and food-related economic development. He is also the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger and the author of All You Can Eat. How hungry is America? Welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you so much for having me. We're, we're very happy to have you here. Um, we opened up the conversation just talking about, you know, some of the statistics and what's going on and what's been going on um, for years now in our country. Can you define what it means to be food insecure? Well, food insecure is a wonkish bureaucratic term I could never even explain to my mother. But basically it means people who can't afford enough food. It's people rationing food. It's people going without food sometimes. It's parents uh, depriving themselves of food to feed their children. It is uh, children skipping breakfast. It is parents who are forced to buy less healthy food, as you said, because they can't afford the healthier food, and it is people going hungry. Now, I stress that food insecurity and hunger in America don't tend to be the same thing as it would be in North Korea or Somalia or Haiti. It's generally not people starving to death in the streets like you might see in some of these ads to raise money for the kids surrounded by Sally Struthers or something like that. It's more likely for people just not to be able to afford food and rent. Now, some on the right will say, well, people aren't starving to death, therefore it's not a bad thing. That's wrong. The level of food insecurity we have in America is absolutely devastating. It absolutely is. And again, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Joel Burke. He is the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. And we're talking about food insecurity. So, Joe, this is Stanley, and I have a question about this topic because um, I work for We Act for Environmental Justice, and we have a food justice working group. And one of the things they mentioned is, like, how overpriced basic vegetables are. So it co- it's a dollar for one banana in my neighborhood. Wow. One, like one banana. And, and then when I go and buy vegetables, when there are people in the store, people look at me like I'm crazy or I'm weird because I'm buying vegetables because you can get a pack of annihilators and a fruit snack for less than you can get for one banana. Yeah, well, food prices vary dramatically by neighborhood. There are other parts of the city you can get a banana for 25 or 35 cents, and it's not really driven by the market. It's driven what they think they politically and economically can get away with because they believe some communities have less uh, power. The truth of the matter is, according to USDA, there are no food deserts in New York City because their methodology really doesn't account for the fact that we're one of the few places in the United States that really doesn't have a car culture. Even in communities, uh, low-income communities that have a fair amount of poverty, even in places like Detroit and Philadelphia and Los Angeles, even most low-income people do have cars. Here, they just don't. And so the USDA methodology says, well, it's, uh, if, you're, if there's fresh food within a mile, each way of where you live, then it's not a food desert. Well, in New York City, a mile is 20 blocks each way. Yeah. That's a 40-block round trip. Uh, many low-income people by foot, 
they often have disabilities, they're elderly, they have children in tow, so it's ridiculous to say that uh, you should be able to go 40 blocks round trip to get healthy food. That's one reason the New York City Coalition Against Hunger uh, is doing two things. Number one, fighting for the bigger policy changes to say that we should empower low-income people to have more purchasing power to be able to buy healthier food and that our agricultural policies should be shifted so that we subsidize healthier food, not junk food. That's number one. But two, on the operational level, we run community-supported agriculture projects where we subsidize fresh fruits and vegetables coming into low-income neighborhoods, make them affordable and convenient. And we've proved if you build it, they will come. If you make healthier food affordable and accessible, convenient, low-income people will eat it. Mm. It is an entire myth that low-income people are just too ignorant or somehow culturally backwards or whatever racially freighted language people want to use to say that they're hungry or food insecure or obese because it's their own fault. The truth of the matter is if it's there and it's affordable and convenient, low-income people will line up to be able to get this stuff. Right. Uh, thank you so much for explaining that, Joel. Now I want to just scale it back a bit and ask why are there so many people in America struggling to find something to eat? Um, and then, you know, the separate issue of why is it so hard to find nutritious food? So, you know, what is that? You know, what is the fundamental answer here? Fundamental answer is too many people live in poverty. If uh, 49 you know, million people or so live in poverty, we shouldn't be entirely shocked that 48 million people can't afford enough food. The fact of the matter is uh, the price of food has increased over the last few years faster than the rate of inflation. Uh, housing everywhere in the country, particularly in New York City and big urban areas, has gone through the roof. Health care continues to increase. Child care goes through the roof. Uh, transportation costs go through the roof. And wages have basically been flat. The national minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, about thirteen or $14,000 per year for a year of full-time work. And so for all this patronizing talk, even sometimes from liberals, that if low-income people just saved their money better or had better financial education, they wouldn't be poor, they wouldn't be hungry, they wouldn't risk homelessness. Bottom line math is if you earn less money than you have to pay in rent, you're going to be poor, you're going to be hungry. And that's the case across America. The vast majority of people who are hungry are working or trying to work. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, I was actually going to ask you a question, but I that brings me to a comment that I wanted to read from somebody uh, who I know, actually, who said something along the lines of this. He says, it looks like I've overextended myself a bit with my security deposit. I was expecting to pay my rent at the same time, but instead they wanted me to give them more security to approve the apartment. That has left me a bit short on food. Now it's Wednesday and I'm going to be working some serious overtime, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's plus a six mile walk to and from work because I can't afford the train. I haven't had a chance to go to the store and buy any cheese carrying lunches, but there's a place down the street where I can grab three hot dogs for five bucks. Problem is, I don't even have five bucks because I had to come up with that security deposit on short notice. Does anyone have five bucks they can spare? I would really appreciate it. Is that kind of story indicative of, you know, a bigger picture issue where, to get at what you're saying here, these people are not, like, spending their money poorly, but, you know, things come up, uh, you know, you have a health expense, you have to pay, you know, an extra security deposit, and now you're asking people for five dollars to buy hot dogs which we all know are not healthy. So I'm hoping that you can elaborate on that scenario that yeah, I just read. That's so, so true, so common, unfortunately. And let me give a hotline number, one eight six three hungry. That's one eight six. 
three hungry that's the USDA national hunger hotline that my organization the New York City Coalition Against Hunger actually runs nationwide on behalf of USDA and anyone can call Monday through Friday 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and get uh, an operator live operator in English and Spanish who can help you learn how you can get SNAP benefits the new name for food stamps how you can get help from pantries and kitchens near you and many working people do not know that they could be eligible for SNAP and not getting it. But the broader point is uh, living in poverty is really, really expensive. That's what much of the country who's not in poverty doesn't understand. If you don't have access to a bank and you have to pay for these rip-off check cashing places, it costs more money. You have to pay bigger deposits than other people do to live in a, a, a place. There are fees and fees and fees for all sorts of stuff that wealthy people don't have to pay that low-income people do. And many landlords try ripping off low-income people that even if you give back your apartment in pristine, perfect condition, or sometimes even better shape than you got it, they'll try uh, by hook or by crook not giving you back the, the housing deposit. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just ran some numbers nationwide, and we found out that be, in 2006, 12.7 million people were hungry but working. Today in 2014, that's 16.2 million, a 28% increase. 16 million Americans are working and still hungry. Something is very, very immense. The American dream that allowed my grandparents to come here and build a better life for us is, is seriously uh, out of whack. Those numbers, those, those statistics, Joel, are astounding. Like, it's hard to even wrap your mind around that. Is there any uh, factor, is there any reasoning behind why this epidemic has just been growing in the last nine years? Well, I will say that President Obama pledged to end child hunger by 2015, and the sad reality is he will have failed. Now, level of child hunger in America will be marginally less than the egregious level he inherited, but there are a number of factors. The Democrats started well. Um, they increased funding in the stimulus package, but as soon as they started getting attacked, they frankly turned tail and, and ran. So I, I blame the you know those evil folks who want to cut these programs, and they have the, the most blame, but I also blame the folks who, who didn't defend them hard enough. Our president is the first president in U.S. history who grew up in a family where someone in his immediate household received food stamps benefits, his mother, and he was attacked three times in three different debates by Mitt Romney on that and never once defended the program. And then the Democrats went along with cuts, and when the Democrats were in control of Congress and the White House, they didn't increase the minimum wage. And again, I, I blame the Republicans and the conservatives most, but both sides have not been forcefully speaking out. The other important thing to understand is we know exactly how to end this problem, because we almost did in the 1970s. We had more living wage jobs, a more inclusive economy, and a more robust safety net. And by the late 1970s, we almost ended hunger entirely in America, and we've gone backwards over the course of decades because we sold the nation on the mix that uncoordinated, underfunded charity could somehow do the job that a, a, a broken economy and a broken governing system isn't doing. You know what, Joel? You're giving out so much good, poignant information, and you're absolutely right. Um, Congress is definitely the reason to blame because when they have, especially the Democrats in, uh, in Congress, when we had control, we just didn't do enough to fight. And you know what? I always take that back to us because we're the constituents. We're the people that vote our elected officials into office, and maybe we're not raising our voice enough about these issues, and that's why they're dropping the ball, and they continue to drop the ball. And as a result, there's some starving kid right now who hasn't ate in the last 20 
24 hours. And on that note, we're going to go to a quick break, but we will continue this conversation with Joe Berg right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. The voice of Harlem, Harlem, Harlem. Thank if you have a question <laughs> or a or comment, you want to call us up, you can call us at 212 650 Or you can tweet us at Be Heard underscore radio. We just like doing that, y'all. That's or just <laughs> give us $30 because, listen, guys. It's a fundraiser. And we raise funds. That's what we need to be doing. All right, guys. So before we went on break, we were having this great conversation about Food insecurity, and again, it means that millions, millions of Americans and over 15 million children here in the U.S. do not have enough to eat. They might eat today, but they might not eat again until Monday afternoon or, or Tuesday, or they might, or they might be looking forward to going to school tomorrow morning so that they can get a meal. And this just okay. should not be in America, where we have. I mean. We, we, we have we put so much money towards, you know, war. We put so much money towards other things, but it's like we're not paying enough attention and we don't have enough resources to help people um, get something basic, which is food and something that a lot of us probably take for granted here. And um, before we went to break, we had Joel Berg. Again, he is the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. We have him on the line and he was talking about, again, how some of this really, uh, really uh, boils down to our elected officials in Congress not doing enough to provide SNAP benefits and um, food stamps for um, poor people. Right. So that's where I'm going to jump and, uh, in. And living wage jobs. Absolutely. Yes. So right. actually, I wanted to jump in there and ask you a question, Joel. So we talked a lot about Congress, uh, which obviously is the federal level. But if many people may not know, the SNAP program, food stamp program, is actually administered through the states, even though the money initially comes from the federal government. Now, um, this is a report that uh, was published by a group and reported on by the Huffington Post a few months back uh, that found that between 2011 and 2013, eight states exhibited statistically significant higher household food insecurity rates than the U.S. national average of 14.6%. And that's Arkansas, Mississippi, Texas, Tennessee, North Carolina, Missouri, Georgia, and Ohio. Now, out of that list of eight states, um, seven of them are below the Mason-Dixon line. Only one of them, Ohio, would be uh, considered to be a northern state. So my question for you, and also we also know, based on the same study, that food insecurity rates are the highest um, based on the factors they use, because I know you brought up how they you know, assess things may not be the best way, uh, are higher in rural states. But not all, these are not necessarily all rural states like, say, Oklahoma, Montana, uh, North and South Dakota, et cetera. So uh, when we're talking about these eight states, is there a connection between the fact that they're all southern states with Republicans in charge um, and and that's why there's a statistically significant higher household food insecurity rate? Or does it have to do with the fact that they're somewhat rural? Or is there other factors that are we need to take into account that I haven't mentioned? Yes, and yes. And I point out, well, Ohio is technically a, a northern state. Parts of southern Ohio are very conservative. And there's a conservative Republican governor of Ohio, John Kasich. And some are touting him as the great moderate in uh, the race, only because we've lowered our standards so dramatically of what moderate means. It has the sixth highest level of hunger in the United States, and hunger's risen dramatically uh, since he's been governor. So the fact of the matter is that public policies matter. Uh, 
I was on Fox News once. That was fun. And, and they were trying to challenge me that uh, the reason uh, Obama was giving out food stamps was that he, he was somehow rewarding political supporters. When the, the fact of the matter is, out of the 20 states in the Union that have the highest rate of SNAP participation, 16 voted for Mitt Romney. So this is all about politics. And I also agree with the basic idea that we have to take charge of our own future. I'm writing a new book called America, We Need to Talk, a self-help book for the nation, which is coming out about a year from now. And the point of it is we can't just blame the politicians. It's a cop-out. If in a relationship it's generally a cop-out just to blame the other person, in real life it's a cop-out just to blame the politicians. They're people we elect, or even worse, we don't elect because we don't vote. And so we need to take agency for our own futures and, and organize and particularly organized low-income people. Uh, you know, if you add up every member of an AFL-CIO union, every member of an anti-union group, every member of... of, of uh Oh, we may have lost Joel for that a minute there. That was Illuminati. They didn't like what he was saying, so they cut his phone yeah. off. Um, so jo- um, Joel is going to call back, and as soon as he gets a chance, um, obviously we'll put him back on as soon as we get him. But until that happens, I guess I will share with you guys my story. So you get an idea of what this kind of, I guess, um, working poverty looks like. When I first graduated from college and probably up until maybe the, the job, this job now, um, I was making an amount like, – a salary. I was making a salary and I had benefits, but the amount of money that I was making was not enough to survive in New York. And what would happen is what I got paid was not more than my rent. So after I paid my rent, a lot of times I would not have enough money for food. And what I would do to eat was either I would I would buy those $2 bags of cereal and milk and I would just eat cereal all day at work. And then when I got home, I'd either have canned food that I'd eat or there was a crown pie chicken and I'd buy $10 worth of chicken to last for three days. And this is not someone, you know, this is not someone who is homeless or who was on public assistance because I made so much to be on public assistance. This was just a situation that I was in because the amount of money that I was making was not enough to cover my cost of living. And that is the situation that a lot of people are in right now. If we're going to talk about the politicians who are at fault here, we also had to talk about the nonprofits and the businesses as well. No, you are absolutely right. And I think something to know, and Stanley would agree, is that I know Stanley has tremendous student student loans to pay back as do many people um our age in their 20s and, and our 30s. legal correspondent and our with legal the law as well um and that's a major factor too right um where it's not just paying rent but now many young people have student loans that they have to pay back too and that leaves very 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 little money for anything else and so when that inhibits your ability to even buy food i yeah. mean that's a big issue that we're i mean like my bottom line is that my student loan debt and my rent take up like two-thirds of the money right. that i make in a month yeah and then i have to figure out with the rest with the other one-third you know and i'm an attorney now mind you i do civil rights law so i mean i don't make what a corporate lawyer makes but still when you know and i don't live in a fancy apartment either i still have to figure out how i'm going to cut that one-third up so that i can eat every month so this is something that affects poor people but it also affects people like who have large amounts of student loan debt or who yeah. are trying have jobs and are trying to uh, move forward when like in new york the cost of rent for one bedroom apartment is fourteen hundred dollars a month and then student loans want at least eight hundred dollars a month from you it's really hard to figure out how to prioritize food afterwards jackie and i think Alyssa brought up a good point as well that you know you're not a corporate attorney right but you shouldn't have to be a corporate attorney and you know give up what you love doing it's not like you're doing something you should be able to feed yourself at the end of the day, right? You're not asking to drive a Lamborghini around New York City, right, and I live am. in, like, a huge penthouse apartment, but to at least be able to afford 
food should be the bare minimum and you shouldn't have to give up the good work that you're doing to be able to do that. Right. Well, we have back in the line with us Joel Berg. Again, he is the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. And one of the questions I had for you, Joel, was you know, how can we move families off of the SNAP program and into some permanent solutions when it comes to uh, food, uh, making them food secure? Is there anything that we can or should be doing? Family values. I would say two things. Number one is we need to create more jobs and ensure that they pay a living wage. And we need a more inclusive economy that when the people at the top benefit, everyone benefits. And to, to do that, we need to not only raise the minimum wage, but we need a whole new series of tax laws that actually reward corporate executives for increasing jobs and paying higher wages and actually punish corporate executives for keeping uh, wages low and exporting jobs overseas. Right now, our tax policies do the reverse. And I'm one advocate who understands that the vast majority of low-income adults would prefer to not have to use these benefits. That being said, I want to caution against any language, I'm not saying you guys are saying this, but any language our society has that somehow not getting these benefits makes you better. The vast majority of people who receive the benefits are children, senior citizens, people with disabilities, and, 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 and veterans. And all of us are dependent upon government. When Donald Trump rides a jet in which he's the only passenger, he is getting help from government air traffic controllers. When you and I ride a jet with 250 people on it, we're getting one 250th of the help from the federal government that Donald Trump is. He rides over government-paid roads, uses government drinking water and wastewater, has government firefighters and police officers uh, supporting his, his buildings. So I do want to reinforce the message that we are all sometimes dependent on government, and that's not always a bad thing. We're all in this together. Yeah. No, absolutely. I actually have kind of a spin-off question to what Selena asked, which is in New York City and maybe in other places, uh, the farm stands, like green markets, like the Union Square Green Market, and now I've noticed that there's one up in Harlem one day a week, and I know there's also one um, that's on the Upper West Side on Sundays, uh, and there's multiple of these green markets where farmers from New York upstate come down and sell their produce. Um, and those green markets now, I've noticed, except, except EBT, yeah. uh, which is SNAP food stamps. Um, so I wanted to ask you, is that a program that we're seeing uh, in other places, not just in New York City? Has it been successful in helping uh, low-income communities have access to uh, you know, food that is good and, you know, grown locally from farmers? And um, should that program be extended to other places for other people? The good news is New York is actually ahead of much of the country in this regard. Uh, I'll take some credit for advocates. We've pushed this a long time. I'll also give some credit to the former Speaker of the City Council, Christine Quinn, who made this a big priority. A lot of credit goes to uh, Grow NYC, the, the, the green market. Uh, of, of New York City who've taken this on to, to do this, and we really are a model for the country. And we have a health bucks program, which actually gives some people who use the markets extra money if they use their food stamps now called SNAP benefits at, at farmers markets. This is growing around the country, but we still need more of it. My only caution is, and I would say this to my foodie friends who want to say that, I'm not saying you guys, but others, well, oh, we can solve this problem. If everyone had a farmer's market, everyone had a CSA, everyone had a garden. And I'll say even in the southern part of the United States with longer growing seasons, those are 
regional solutions. Here in New York City, there are certainly, re- uh, I-, I meant seasonal solutions, not regional solutions, seasonal solutions. I like eating all 52 weeks out of the year, not, you know, the dozen or two dozen weeks later, prime harvest season in New York City. I know farmers markets have some things year-round, some uh, root vegetables or some fruit that's been in storage, but by and large, the fresh stuff is, is you know, a, a dozen or two dozen weeks. So this is important. It helps small farmers stay on the land. It helps promote small, sustainable farms. It's a great thing that low-income people love when they can afford it, but we also need to go beyond that to have a year-long, affordable, nutritious food in every neighborhood that people earn enough money to buy. Definitely. Joel, I want to thank you so much for taking this time out to come on our radio show and to continue your advocacy on this very important issue. Please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you, your organization, and get your book. They can call one. 1- 866-3-HUNGRY, 1-866-3-HUNGRY if they need food for themselves. If they want to donate or volunteer, they can come to our website at New York City Coalition Against Hunger dot org for, or abbreviated NYCCAH dot org. They can also go to hungervolunteer dot org, hungervolunteer dot org to find out how they can help. And if people appreciate that old fashioned thing called the phone, they can call us at 212-825-0028. Thank you again so much. Again, that was Joel Berg. And I just want to say this, that it's time for us to wake up. And I'm talking to myself, too, because food insecurity is something that goes on every single day for millions of Americans. And unfortunately, we're only talking, you know, we're talking about it because Thanksgiving is coming up and we have the holiday season. And, you know, everyone's already fixated on food and celebration. But we forget about these people in the dark shadows. We forget about that little girl who's, you know, standing online in the lunchroom because she hasn't eaten in the last, you know, 24 hours or so. And, and it's just sad. And I think that, as we talked about, there are a number of things that need to be done in order to help um, our, our children and these people be able to afford enough food. And that is, of course, like we said, a living wage. Um, we need more jobs. A healthy and robust economy always helps. Um, and another thing we need is, you know, the support, entitlement programs, SNAP. We can't cut that. And a voice. And that's something that we can all do and that we all have. I think that, you know, as much as we're on the front lines about immigration reform and Black Lives Matter and LGBT issues. These issues are very important too. But then again, we shouldn't have people literally starving right here in our right here in our streets, right here, you know, our neighbors, the people we pass when we are, you know, walking through certain neighborhoods and certain communities. I think that it's sad and it's an injustice and it's it's a reflection on us as a society and where we stand and, and what we really think about people that don't have and how much we take for granted everything that we do have. So um with that said, it's Thanksgiving. Let's be thankful, but also help those and, and be cognizant that we can do something um, to help them. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Alyssa is going to give us a quickie on the NRA, ISIS, and guns right here in America. Don't go away. This was 